Welcome to the show. You are now part of Reveal, the revenue intelligence podcast powered by Gong. We're your hosts, Devin Reed. And I'm Sheena Badani. Revenue intelligence is a new way of operating based on customer reality instead of opinions, making data-driven decisions based on facts instead of opinions or guesswork. And it's made up of three success pillars, people success, deal success, and strategy success. You know, the things all revenue teams need and care about. Every week, we interview senior revenue professionals, and they share their stories and insights on how they leverage revenue intelligence to drive success and win their market. You'll hear how modern go-to-market teams win as a team, close revenue with critical deal insight, and execute their strategic initiatives, plus all the challenges that come along with it. This episode of Reveal was recorded live at Celebrate on Tour, which was Gong's first ever roadshow event, which was held in Boston on February 14th. Given that this was a live event, please forgive the audio quality and the background noise. The first voice you'll hear is Steve Sanchez, VP of Customer Success at Gong. He will introduce each of the three panelists that participated in the event, including Michelle Benfer, VP of Sales at HubSpot, Ed Kalnan, CRO of Seismic, and Chris Hayes, CRO of Zoom Info and Discover Org. We want to start off without getting into deal execution first, but first off, the, the icebreaker, what's one daily routine that you think everyone should be doing? Michelle, you want to kick it off? Yeah, sure. Cool. Uh, this is probably going to sound corny, but um, I don't know if any of you guys listen to the Tim Ferriss podcast um, or if any of you are total geeks like me and you're a Tony Robbins fan, but I really think like you got to start your day with some kind of routine or a way that you like set yourself up for success. Uh, so for me, I take my dog for a 30-minute walk, and I have a whole crew that I walk with, which is great. And then I go through different phases where it's either I listen to tunes my whole ride into work. I'm a mom with kids, and so I don't get a lot of alone time. So I really enjoy that. Or I go through a podcast phase. So uh, that's on the personal front. And then on the work front, um, one of the things that I really coach my directors as well as my managers on is having the time to prepare for meetings. I think a lot of us get like really, really busy. We can tend to be reactive. Taking that time in the morning to say, what are the meetings I have today? How can I prepare best for them? What's my agenda? And what do I want to get out of the meeting, um, I think is a, a really important start. That's great. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. Ed? Yeah, I think uh, it depends on your role, I think, you know, what, what I would say business-wise. Um, I tend to call all my direct leaders every day. I think, uh, I think sometimes we forget that human interaction is really important. So when I get up in the morning, I get up early, first calls I make are to Europe, um, talk to all my directs there make sure I at least see people in the office or call them uh, if they're on the road for the folks in the States and then on the way home, talk to all the people in Asia. And uh, I think it, for me, it, it's a really reassuring exercise because I get to hear their voice, hear their emotion, check in to make sure that they're good. And I know for that day, everything's probably not too much on fire, but it's a, it's a wonderful way to continue to build bonds and just make sure everyone's cool. Perfect. And to dig in, we're going to start pretty philosophically. So the title of this session is Deal Execution, a Science or an Art. Anyone have thoughts on that? I mean, I'm, for me, when I think about deals and I think about transactions, we're fairly transactional. We have a sales cycle of about 20 days, and we're transacting on new business about 600 transactions a month and you know, a little bit over 1,000 on the customer side. Uh, and everything goes really quick. So with that kind of velocity, 
all of the deals have a pattern and are somewhat predictive. So I'm a big proponent of looking at all of the different activities and the results that they drive. And you know, we track everything. And it's been part of our culture. I started with uh, Henry at Discover Org about four years ago. And that cadence and um, structure around looking at all of the leading indicators and understanding how they transform into the actual revenue that we're driving. So I'm a big proponent of data. Everything that we do is data driven. And if we want to do something that we can't find data for, it's very frustrating for us. And we try to dig in. And if it's something that's important, we'll end up setting up the systems to track it. So. Yeah, I'd say um, I'd say it's both. So, similar to, to Chris, we my team is the high velocity team at, at HubSpot. Um, we'll have over a hundred reps this year. Um, so it has to be a science, right? I and mean, very similarly, we have. 800 to 1,000 transactions a month. And so you need to really know, you know, what are the metrics that you need from deal creation to conversion rates, you know, lead flow, all of that stuff. But I do really think that sales is the art of the conversation. And I don't think, you know, all of us get enough credit for the nuances that have to happen within a deal process, um, even with prospecting. And honestly, Gong helps us a lot with that and being able to tease out what are some of the words that we know create friction in the deal process? What are some of the phrases that our best reps use? Um, and what are some that we should avoid? And then we coach on that accordingly. So the conversation within the deal is really important. But then there's a whole science and the data analytics behind it. I don't think it's ever been harder to answer that question, truthfully. I think uh, you know we've never had uh, a period in time where we have more access to more data and the ability to apply it. But looking, I mean, I thought the last presentation was great. You know, buyers and the buying process has changed considerably in the last five years. So, you know, I, I thought it was a really good analysis of all the steps you think you need to close a deal, and then holy shit, there's 14 more decision makers than I thought, and that's the art part, right? It's trying to figure out to work with your prospects to try to figure out how to buy. Because you know, in the 90s, IT bought everything. And now it's kind of shifting towards the business. And the business is now buying more stuff. But procurement doesn't work for them like they used to work for IT. So that's where the art comes in. And I think it's, it's going to evolve considerably over the next few years. But I think it's, it's really hard. I think it's never been more in the middle, probably, than it is right now. What about the challenge if, you know, typically you'll hear this from enterprise sellers. Um, they've been doing this for decades. They're the lone wolves out there. Uh, they know what they're doing, but they don't know how to tell people how to do that. Sales excellence is idiosyncratic. I do it my own way, and I get the job done. How do you typically, uh, you know, object to that when those are typically the people that you can actually extract the most learnings from, mm -hmm. um, but they're also the ones that, you know, at times are stiff, arf stiff arming the philosophy and uh, allowing themselves to provide that data to the rest of the team. Yeah, we have a couple of pretty cool ways that we do that. I mean, I think it first starts with creating a culture where collaboration is really highlighted. Um, so I think we do that really well as a management team. We've agreed that collaboration among us and among our, our reps is like one of our top pillars and the values that we hold ourselves to. So hopefully you establish that well. Um, and then one, we, we run two pretty cool programs that have um, really helped the sales team across the board. One is we take a deal from beginning to end, everything from the first cold call to then closing the call and then what that follow-up is once they become a customer. And we do an hour-long call that's like a webinar, Zoom style, because my team's pretty big. 
And we have the rep do everything from here's where the objection came in, here was the technical challenge within the deal. Uh, this is the email that I sent, and here's their response back. This is when I thought the deal died. You know, here's a snippet of what was said on the call to really turn it around. Oh. So we really do like the guts of the deal, which really helps people get that like inside baseball view. Mm -hmm. um, so that's one. And then the other one we do is something called War Zoom, where we have one or two reps bring a deal um, to the um, to the team, and we have five leaders on the call, and all of them give the perspective of how they would um, make the next move. What's the play call here? And so in the middle of the deal. The deal is still it, live. It, it's it, it hasn't it's closed. an active opportunity. Okay, okay. And so they tee up, here is where the deal is right now. And we have five sales leaders from you know different segments come in and say, here would be my next move. And so it allows reps to hear um, what like some of the experts would say mm -hmm. and teach them you know, really like there are different ways that you can maneuver this. So yeah. those are some of the things we do. And it really highlights the rep as being an expert. Yeah, I love that. Uh, Chris, you have an interesting perspective. You. Discover Oregon Zoom Info uh, merged over the past year, and from what you've told me, there was definitely different motions that went on to selling both of those. How did you go about actually integrating those with, with completely different motions? Yeah, when, when we bought uh, Zoom Info, the Zoom Info business was, um, the ASP was much lower than a DO. It was roughly about $7,000. DO's was about twenty-three, and. The Zoom Info reps relied very much on a free trial motion. So come in, here's a trial, and they were hopeful that the trial would sell the product. And they weren't selling a vision or a value, whereas the DO was selling a vision of what the product and the solution could do. And that was one of the reasons we were able to come in at a much higher ASP. So we ended up integrating the teams, and we started to push that no trial motion down into the base, into our AEs in Waltham in Boston. And we started to, we used Gong to record the calls and we started to listen and share the practices across the DO team back with the team in Zoom Info. And we've grown out our sales enablement arm. I think when we bought Zoom Info, I had three sales enablement people. I have 12 now. Um, and that was a big part of it is trying to get the Zoom Info reps to get a higher ASP and an overall higher ACV that was comparable to DO. And when we left 2019, the AS, the ACV per AE on the Waltham side was 890,000. And when we came in the door, it was on a trajectory to be about 600. So it was a successful. And we feel like as we go into 2020, we'll be able to get to 1.2 per AE across the group. But the thing that I love about Gong, uh, the capture, is before that, uh, all of this knowledge was kind of bottled up. It was where Steve Warnke or Paul Keering would have a conversation and nobody got to share in it. They would have an email cadence and a velocity nobody got to share in it. So now with this product, and it's, it's passive, which is the best thing about it is the AEs don't have to do anything. They just go into a Zoom meeting or go to meeting. It's captured. They send their emails. It's captured. You're able to look at that and see a pattern within a transaction, a pattern of behavior, whether it's keywords or whether it's the email velocity, which we also track. And you're able to take that and translate it across the org. And it's something that four years ago, five years ago, really wasn't something you could do. It was just all this stuff that was bottled up. It's been a big, it's been a big benefit for us in that transition. Great. Performance, we've all seen the bell curve. We know the top reps um, are great and will continue to, to do their thing. We, all, we also know, or most of us believe, that moving that bell curve up is what's really going to drive that revenue, right? Move that top line. Um, what are the efforts that you've put in place uh, to, to really try to move that bell curve over time? Our philosophy is, um, and our theme is really kind of every rep has to put in road work every single day. So you have to get up and you have to do the work. And I think that sometimes 
that's the hardest thing about coaching, as everybody knows, is you get one great month and then you take your foot off the gas and you have one huge quarter and you take the foot off the gas. We measure our reps every single day, what they do, who they meet with, and effort is a major metric in our success criteria scorecard. Um, and then pushing through that, you know, we all have comp plans that have accelerators at the end. You have those, you know, 10 percenters who hit their quota and then hit the gas. Those are the rare breeds that we all want to hire. So if you know any of those, send them my way. Uh, and then the folks in the middle that just kind of struggle to get there and, and fall over the line at the end. And then the folks that we know probably should have a different job somewhere else. Um, and I think that was the theme, was really kind of effort, perseverance, and tenacity, um, but also pushing through your limits. Like we had, I was lucky enough to give out some awards on stage, and we had, our top rep was 380% of plan this year. And, you know, so I said, I said to the team, you know, this, they almost did their job four times in one year. Think about that. You know, it's pretty awesome. And those are the types. So that was the kind of theme we were going for. That's awesome. Yeah. We talk about game tape all the time. Uh, it sounds like, Michelle, you, you offered a version of that in real time as the deal is still live. Yeah. Um, what about retrospectively looking back at any of these? Have you instituted or have you learned from any of those deals along the way as well? A huge part of our playbook. Um, so from the call libraries, um, and then we even you know move some of those offline depending on is this a competitive you know is this a competitive situation that we were over able to overcome was it an integration that we were able to really like sell well through um, was there a really good sales technique that was implemented here and here's an example of it so it's a huge part of our playbook and we try to uh, disseminate that to to the reps across the team. Okay, great, Chris. Yeah, so. Uh, the feature that's going to become standard, I guess, on Gong, which was exciting, we've been doing that for two years, two and a half years. And if you're not doing it, it's really valuable. If you can go in and drop the CSV file out of Gong, and if you've got your competitors tagged, then you can start to see, because the opportunity data is in there, you can start to attribute your competitors to ops. You can attribute your AEs, your CSMs, and you're able to see win rate, and you're able to see it over time. So you can see like when a competitor is starting to become a material thing or not. And, you're, and you can measure the ASP against that as well. It's been that type of tracking and for us to be able to see, okay, this person's now popping up and our win rate is going down against them. What do we need to do? That type of foresight, it's amazing. So to, have, to know that you guys are gonna make that standard is pretty cool. But it's not hard to do. If you've got Excel, you can do it. If you've got Tableau, you can do it today. Um, it's just it's data that's locked up just within Gong. It's awesome. Yeah. I'll add, I'm just going to do one yeah. add-on to that um, right. that's pretty cool, and I don't know if anyone's doing this, but we also have like an executive um, folder when our execs get on the call, and to hear the CEO and the way that he talks about the company, to hear our head of marketing, uh, to hear our president, um, it, it just makes a big difference. They have just a much higher view in the way that they talk about a level of partnership, so that's been a really cool way to implement um, just kind of a, a mini call library for the team. Interesting. So the the goal out of that is so that everyone understands the vision, which is is a moving target. It changes and how you present it depending on the market and uh, the fluctuations against it. They, they can always have access to what that messaging totally. is. Totally. Yep. Wow. And it's, okay. a, it's a, just a really elevated conversation and there are just like nuggets in there that reps can tease out. So that's yeah. been a pretty cool um, play that we have. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the, the last third of that bell curve that I've been ignoring uh, thus far, the, the struggling curve, right? Um, Salesforce estimates 57% of sales reps are going to miss their target this year. 
I don't know how the hell they got to 57%, but <laughs> regardless, that makes your jobs a lot harder, right? Um, and at the same time, a, a force working in the other direction is, I would expect your goals are probably going up and to the right. Right, so how do you fight that force, knowing that we're up against, you know, changing challenges or, or blockers that um, are getting in the way of these reps achieving those goals? Fifty-seven percent is a big number. I, I read that during the prep, and um, you know, I, I sure hope I don't have sixty percent whiff. Um, it's. Um, I think you need to inspect your people. I think you need to check in with them every day. I think you need to build your capacity model for heading into the year. I mean, we all do it, right? You figure out how many reps you need, what's the average quota, what's the average close last year. We use 70% attainment in our model. Um, so I think we're better in class than maybe some other organizations. But um, you know, I think, it's, um, I think it all goes back to deal inspection and a lot of the stuff that Gong is so wonderful at. It's early on in the cycle, spotting the deal signs, trying to figure out the levers to move things on, team selling, great concept, and, and putting all the pieces together. I mean, we sell our business, we tend to sell higher, uh, larger enterprise deals. So our average deal size is like 250K. And so, you know, we're longer sales cycles, six to nine months. It's less about volume, it's a lot about art. Um, and I think you really need to uh, set your sales reps up for success. But it's, um, and that's the hardest part, right? Yeah. Is finding good people and hoping that they're great. Because they all sound great in the interviews, right? They all tell you how wonderful they are. And then you don't find out they stink till six months later. Yeah. And I'd add there, I think like, I like to take the philosophy that's really on us, not only to hire well, um, but for it's like no rep left behind. Right, so it's on the management team, it's on the programs that we put together in order to elevate these people and not have a sink or swim environment. And so we try to solve that with like a lot of programming. So we put reps in cohorts. So it's based on when you've started, you know, do you need to work more closely on your demo, right? Because you're only six months into the job. How do we put together a workshop for that group of reps? Same thing with like discovery calls. Um, and then we go down the line on like competitive, um, Intel, so we really work on systematic programming to help reps where they have gaps. And if it's even a rep that's been in, in the funnel for you know, 13 months, 18 months, uh, that doesn't mean that they don't need a refresher or to go back into that workshop. So we work really a lot on the enablement piece and hold ourselves accountable if we're not able to carry reps through to high performance. We'll go back to the high level. Uh, sales in general, how do you expect it to evolve in the next five to 10 years? <laughs> I mean, from my perspective, like I've, I'm also one of the reasons why the 65 years is so high. Like I, when I started as a sales rep, you know, we were out in the field. We were going like you would literally go in and knock the door knock thing. Um, you would have a map. There was no GPS when What's I started. What's a map? <laughs> so the the evolution that's happened just you know in th the last 25 years is amazing, and it's just the velocity is continuing. Um, the information that we have as sellers and as you know, revenue experts is unparalleled. And it's also the same with our buyers. Everybody is just much more informed. Um, so my perspective is that that's going to cause transactions to actually become easier um, and quicker as people come to a, the table already well informed about what's going uh, to happen. And that us as sellers, our teams as sellers, are going to become more and more important because those transactions are going to go very, very quickly. People are going to know what they want. They're going to know about it. You're going to know what they want. You're going to know when they're going to buy it from all those things we talked about here that are going to progress. Yeah. So I think it's going to compress, go very quickly, and it's going to be very, very fast-paced. Interesting. 
Yeah, I tend to agree with that. I think I think it's well said. It's um, great sales reps do three things well. They prove that they understand the business problem. They prove that they've solved it for someone else like them, and they prove that if the prospect gives you money, they're going to get something in return. I think it's never been easier to do that if you utilize the data and the tools at your at your disposal. And I think it's cutting through the noise, cutting bait early on opportunities that aren't real, focusing on the buyers that have the budget, executing on that stuff. And um, I think I think you're 100% right. Velocity is going to increase because of that. Yeah, and I'd say. Um I think a big part is it's going to be continued automation in the sales process, like you know, improving that sales velocity. Um, I think there's going to be more AI intelligence on um, predictive deal closing and where to kind of go in and um, make an adjustment. I think video is going to continue to be a big play. If you guys are not using Vidyard, if you're not doing the little touch points to Devin's point, you know, the eight emails in order to close a deal, um, sending a little video as a part of that, um, I think continues to be a really big play and that's just going to accelerate so those are some of the things oh and then the last one personalization I mean to your point like cutting through the noise uh, you really have to have a compelling uh, value prop that speaks directly to your prospect so I think personalization is going to be heightened even though we're moving to a more automated process yeah uh, it's it's going to be interesting. That's that's for sure. And you, you mentioned cutting through the noise, Michelle. Uh, what are the handful of KPIs you use to find the signal? I'm a proponent of the uh, setting your results. What do you want to achieve? And then understanding the activities that are going to drive those results. It's cracking the sales management code. It's in that book. I'm a firm believer of that. So if you start with what you want to your outcome, whether it's hitting your revenue number, your pipeline number, your lead number then understanding the results that actually drive that, that you could actually affect. You coach the, you coach the activity that drives the results. And every, everybody's org's probably a little bit different, but for me, it's, it's demo set, demos completed, opportunity creation. It's the opportunity progression, and then it's the touch points that drive that. Like the cadence that we talked about in the email piece, that cadence is real. And if you take the data that, um, I forget the gentleman's name, showed around that last week, if you were to line chart that, what ends up happening is a deal progresses, it spikes. So if somebody's telling you a deal is going to close and you're looking at the email activity and you don't see that spike, you can call bullshit. It's pretty accurate. Like that happens. So if you pull your activity data from Gong and track that over an actual time frame, you will see a pattern of a deal in almost every deal that you have and the single threaded piece as well. That's a huge for us. It was a big finding for us in 2019 that if I'm not with a director of sales or above, I'm probably screwed. So being able to get that data out and understand that when you're doing a pipeline review or a deal review, is, it's really impactful. Yeah, I think, the, I think that's where you got to add the art to the science because sales reps lie, right? <laughs> every one of us, right? Every meeting's awesome. Every deal's going to close. Everything's wonderful. You know, I love to go through a, you know, a measurement exercise of the pipeline and just you know, tell me why that's going to close, and they give you all the 10 reasons, and you know, my famous response is, I don't believe you. And they kind of freak out a little bit, and you're like, all right, you got a little bit more work to do. And I think that's the key: is you can look at all the numbers you want, but you got to look someone in the eye and say, why is this coming? Explain it to me. Um, and I think if you can map those two together, you're in pretty good shape. So next on the list, procurement involvement makes a prospect go dark on almost all fronts. What best practices does the data suggest for keeping up influence while honoring rules? For me, like that team selling thing. If the business wants what I'm selling, 
then I, like you can't be a complete and total jerk to procurement. But if the business wants it, what I've learned is the business will influence procurement. Yep. Are they so like I keep I tell my team push push push, and I get procurement. Sometimes we get people that want us to put a, in the contract that nobody but procurement can sign. We'll generally not do that. Uh, but so anyway, my advice is just keep pushing, but do it in a professional, persistent way. Anyone else? Yeah, I mean, I, I'd say, um, I don't know if Mike Myers is still here, but that bonding and rapport and asking your influencer to, like, be your champion internally and being able to, you know, have them be uh, that whisper of what's really going on. And, you know, to your point, Chris, is being able to uh, see if they can influence and accelerate, you know, what's going on with procurement. Um, I think that's that's really helpful. And then just providing value. You know, mm -hmm. if there's a new blog that came out or, or something that would be of, of um, value to them, making sure you're just staying. Uh, on top of that, okay. sending that their way. Great. I think we have time for about one more. So the purple says, have you seen evidence that free trials actually hurt chances of closing certain types of deals? I don't know if anyone has, uh, we, that applies. Yeah, we pulled the data. But when we bought Zoom, DiscoverWork didn't do trials. Zoom did it. They weren't tracking, which was like bizarre to me that they didn't know how many were in it or their win rate. So we put a process in place that tracks, and we track it by day. So days into the trial, and then we're tracking the number of days, and then we're tracking the win rate, and we're tracking the ASP. So we have an optimal number of days that optimizes win and ASP. It's about seven for us is the optimal. And then the break point's a little bit over 30. It starts to degrade. Um, the way my point of view on it now is that there are some deals that you can win without a trial. And if you can win without a trial, they go quicker. But there are deals that you cannot win without a trial. So my advice, and we're, we're in the process of doing this, is to try to give your reps a point of view about when to do it and when not to. And if you can do it from a data-driven perspective, all the better. But I think you need to give, I need, we're in the process of doing that now, giving them a point of view about when to offer and when to not. Okay. Ed, before we wrap here, this one specifically calls you out. So how does uh -huh. Gong play in more enterprise, long sales cycles versus intransactional volume-based orgs? Uh, it plays both. So we, we, we kind of, a lot of SaaS companies start small and then sell up. We, we went the other way. Um, so we started selling enterprise and, and are going down. And so when we've, we've really just been starting to build out our BDR organization and our marketing organization. And so it's been essential. It's a vital component of training and listening to the commercial, we call them, and enterprise deals. For me, all the legacy folks, you talked about the lone wolf sellers and you know the people who have been doing it for 30 years and think that their shit doesn't stink. For me, I make them turn it on and we listen to them too. Uh -huh. And the hardest part about being a growth company, and you probably know this, Mitt, uh, you get the first folks in and they're awesome and they sell all the big deals so you don't worry about them a little bit. And then four years later, you listen to one of their gong calls and you're like, holy shit, they sound like they're four years ago, you know? And they just don't catch up because they think they're really great and they probably are really great and they don't need to evolve their game. And I mean, so that's how we've been using it at the, at the higher end. We do a lot with our SEs as well. So we record their demos, we record the interactions, and we use that as training tools going down to our SE team. Um, but I, it's been incredibly important for us over the last year or so. And um, so I think it fits at every stage for every size company. That's great. Yep. Well, thank you, Michelle, Ed, Chris. Appreciate the time. Hopefully the, the audience got a lot out of this and can come track you down afterwards. So thanks again. We'll pass it back over to Sheena.
Did you like today's episode? Subscribe now so next week's episode will be waiting for you on Monday. And if you really like the podcast, please leave a review. Five-star reviews go a long way to help get the word out there. And if you're not ready to give a five, check out another episode and see if we've won you over by then. And if you have any feedback or you want us to interview one of your favorite revenue leaders, just email us at reveal at gong.io.